Hello and welcome to the Town Alone podcast, the only podcast powered by a spinning wheel. I am your host, Adam, and with me, my co-host and partner in business, Mike. Mike, how are you doing? Oh, I'm just doing dandy. Uh, I was going to ask you something, but I'll save it in case it comes up on the wheel. Okay, well, that's good because I had a cold open question for you. Oh, okay. All right, I'm going to name some teams, and all I want you to do is tell me who is currently their con Smythe favorite. You ready? Mm-hmm. The Florida Panthers. Panthers is very hard. Uh, probably Matthew Kachuk, but Bob has made a serious case. The Las Vegas Golden Knights. Oh, boy. Um, you know... It's probably it's probably Jack Eichel is the cons my favorite. Does that hurt to say? It does. It hurts to say. But you know, don't sleep on William Carlson. The uh, Colorado Nuggets. The Denver Nuggets. Those guys. I mean, obviously it's it's Joker, but oh, God, and, I hate that nickname. I know, and we'll probably mention it if this comes up in the wheel. But man, Jamal Murray last two games has been lights out. And the uh, the final participant here. The Los Angeles Lakers. Just for the meme, I'm going to say Austin Reeves. There we go. <laughs> this guy gets it. Roll the music. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, can we just get the... Uh... Damn, what's the name of that? The... <laughs> oh, the Benny Hill music? Benny Hill, that's it. Thank you. We should just do like a Benny Hill uh, lo-fi remix. That sounds like something that someone's definitely pitched in a studio in Atlanta somewhere. Yep. That shit sold in the room. All right, Mike. For those of you who are listening for the first time, the way this works is we spin a wheel with several topics on it. Whatever topic that wheel lands on, we talk about for 20 minutes on the dot and then move on to the next topic. We do that three times and that's a podcast. And spinning the wheel. All right. Softball start topic here. The NHL Conference Finals. Oh, thank God. I thought you were saying it was actually softball. I was like, I don't have notes on softball. I think Oklahoma won or something. Sure. <laughs> all right, Mike. Mike, all right. Let's talk uh, Let's talk the NHL playoffs here. Let's do it. The conference Finals. So, as a, a slight follow-up from our, our previous conversation, I want to start off with a couple of questions for you here. Um, mm-hmm. I once again have the betting odds in front of me, so I can give you the actual answers if you would like. But I wanted to know uh, who you think right now de- is the most deserving of the Con Smythe Trophy, given that we still have two rounds to play. Of the four teams that are left, obviously, because I'm guessing, you know, it'd be really tough for a team, a player that got knocked out in the first round or two to win it. Um, I'm going to stick with, once again, either Matthew Kachuk or Sergey Bob. 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 So I was going to say Bob. Yeah, I was going to say Bob. <laughs> All right. Bob so uh, right now, the odds-on favorite is Matthew Kachuk at plus 400. Second mm-hmm. place is Jack Eichel at plus 450. Third okay. place is Sergey Bobrovsky at plus 700. Mark Stone at plus 900. Sebastian Ajo at plus 900. Rupe Hintz at plus 1100. What I'm getting from this list yeah. is that Vegas is pretty sure we're getting a uh, uh, Panthers-Vegas Stanley Cup final. Yeah. But... Just to, to kind of round out the list here, Rupe Hintz at plus 1,100, Freddie Anderson at plus 1,100, Carter Verhage at plus 1,300, which I yeah. think might be a little too low. 
Jake Ottinger at plus 1,700 and Joe Pavelski at plus 1,700. So of those of those names on the list, are you sticking with Kachuk there? I'm sticking with Matty Kachuk. And if I can just ask your opinion on this real quick, since we're mentioning him, is the uh, is the the OT like walk off the best celebration in the NHL right now? <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, I've uh, notoriously been an anti Sully culture guy. I think mm-hmm. that the NHL is so desperate to hang on to anything that gives them personality identity identity, personality that they've turned like selly into a whole thing but traditionally hockey celebrations are pretty lame especially compared to like football celebrations either Mm -hmm. version of football um oh i what you don't like the slide you don't like the the soccer back so hard i think i think soccer that's right i called it soccer (laughs) send your hate tweets towards me i think their sellies are lame they just run and do a power slide or do like the little jumping fist pump or if you know if it's female they like oh i guess both of them take their shirts off actually yeah the the taking your shirt off is such an elite athlete move to me that's why i love it so much like yeah, but... i don't know why nba players don't do that because they're all six eight and muscle bound like if yeah. i was six eight and looked like lebron james every time i scored a basket basket i would tear my jersey off i'd be looking for reasons to take my shirt off oh yeah it's, could, yeah it's like mac and it's always sunny i would be like right. <laughs> Can we make this part of the plan? Yeah. How can we use this? But yeah. It's the... uh, uh, but here's the thing. Here's the thing that makes the overtime score celebration the best celebration going right now is that it keeps being goddamn Matthew Kachuk. And Matthew Kachuk has more personality than half of the league combined. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know which one I liked better. If it was the first one where he kind of pulled like the Bo Jackson because he had to like skate to the other end of the ice and then just went right through the tunnel. Uh or the most recent one where he literally pointed at the guy at the door and then did the little head nod to his boys to get out of there. Did you see what he called that celebration? No, what do you call it? Uh, bus in 10. <laughs> that was really good. Yeah, pretty good. <laughs> uh, who set him up on that overtime goal? I'm blanking that on one. it right now. Um, the primary assist went to my boy Samson Reinhardt. Okay, yeah, because that was it was a great little flick pass there. Yeah, it was it was a great play. It it was crazy seeing. I'm sh- I'm not sure if you like the the replay on on that goal and what happened in the corner where Brent Burns' stick or no Jacob Slavin's stick literally goes into Brent Burns' skate and gets stuck. No, um, I didn't see and that. It, yeah, it caused like that whole kerfuffle where they had both their D men stuck in the corner like that and just opened up basically a two on zero right in front of the net. Yeah. <laughs> And yet, people just this week were talking about how Jacob Slavin is the best defenseman in the NHL. Well, look at him now, getting his fucking stick stuck in someone else's skates. Fucking jabroni. Um, I gotta tell you, as a as a man without a hockey team, falling in love with these Florida Panthers. How how can you not? Oh, uh, I, I can tell you, I cannot because I lost tons of money betting against them in the first two rounds. So, as a Sabres fan, watching the Florida Panthers, even though you think I should hate them because literally if like late in the season when we played Florida for the last time, if the Sabres won that game, it would be the Sabres that would have been in the playoffs. But they are paying me back so much by going on like just taking out all the teams I hate as a Sabres fan. Boston, check. Maple Leafs, check. And now, you know, the Hurricanes possibly check. It is wild to think where they were a few months ago, too. I mm-hmm. mean... 
you look back right before the season ended, it's easy to to say now with rose-colored glasses that Florida's a very good hockey team that was the President's Trophy winner last year and then turned Mackenzie Weger and Jonathan Huberdeau into Matthew Kachuk, who's one of the most exciting young playmakers in the league. Mm-hmm. But it is wild to think that if if the Penguins close out a couple games, Florida doesn't make the playoffs. Yeah, and I don't think... Like, going back to my point about, like, if the Sabres win that game against Florida, they're in the playoffs. I, as much as I love my Sabres, I don't think, I don't, I don't, I can't confidently say we would have upset Boston. And I sure as I don't think Pittsburgh would have upset Boston. So, it would have been a totally different playoffs if that happened. So, talking about the Panthers-Cinderella run here, I wanted to get your opinion as a longtime hockey watcher and a self-proclaimed, you say your favorite sport is hockey. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, what makes these Cinderella runs possible in the playoffs? Because we've gotten a few of these in recent years. I mean, the bubble years are weird, but we had the Dallas run and the Canadians run mm-hmm. in the bubble. This year we have the Panthers. Um, last year's Rangers made it significantly deeper than anyone expected them to. Mm-hmm. What What is making these differences suddenly happen? in the playoffs for hockey that don't seem to exist in basketball? Um, I feel like it's, it's kind of different on case by case basis. I mean, you can go with like the big uh, kind of like blanket answer by says of like, Oh, you know, team gets hot at the right time. <laughs> but like looking beyond that, like in Florida's case, I think they struggled early in the year with, you know, they had a new coach and then it kind of took them a while to figure out how they wanted to play. It was almost like they, you know, for trying to get away from what made them a success last year. And then they started getting more aggressive and opening things up more offensively, I think, on the latter stretch of the season and kind of found their groove. Um, compared to some other teams, like the Canadians are a kind of a, a hilarious example because I remember that cup run because each round it, people were just like, this makes no sense. Like, this is a bad team. How are they still around? And Carey Price was standing on his head and it was unreal. And then I think the next year, and we all kind of like called it because like the next season they were like bottom five in the league. They were terrible. Yeah, they had uh, the number two pick the next season. Yeah, so it, that that run is burned. Oh, wait, in my no, head. they had the number one pick because the draft was in Montreal. That's right. Yeah. So, and it's also worth pointing out. Just want to go back to that before you you continue on. Mm-hmm. Um, just occurred to me that that Canadians run. You had uh, Carey Price standing on his head. The Rangers run, you had Igor Shosturkin standing on his head. And this run, you have Bobrovsky standing on his head. Is there some argument to be made that goaltending is important? Goaltending is very important. (laughs) Unless you're like last season's Colorado Avalanche that excelled in so many other areas to the point where they didn't need Kemper to be a superstar. And then this this year, with everyone injured, still managed to make it to the playoffs with... Frank Kuz and uh, Georgiev. Oh, I forgot about Georgiev. Mm-hmm. Man, murder's row there. <laughs> but I mean, you're right because it really can make like a whole difference. Like in that game last night, um, Panthers played terrible in the first quarter and we're getting totally outshot. And if Bob's not playing the way he is playing right now, that could have been a much worse hole they were in. So they're only down one nothing. We were texting back and forth about this. End of the first period, six shots to 26 shots. Mm-hmm. 
the game was almost tied too because the Panthers scored on their first one and then it got called back. Yeah. It just like it gives you extra lives when you have a goaltender playing lights out. Like that's such a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So with our uh, our our time already kind of run down here after we uh, went on and on about how great Florida is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got any uh, any Carolina notes? Um, Anything you've been seeing? Any thoughts on them? Just like one thing, when I did kind of look at the numbers, it is surprising. This, even though the first few games haven't been crazy high scoring, I think they've both been really fun games. And these are the top two teams in high danger chances for in the playoffs. And they were actually respectively teams one and three in the regular season um, for the most like high danger chances generated. And that just surprised me because I thought, I've always thought of Carolina as such a quality over quantity team that I did not realize how many high danger, high danger chances they've actually been generating. So, Well, I think that part of their entire thing is that they generate high danger chances by throwing the puck at the net and hoping for tips and rebounds, which are high danger opportunities. Yeah. I mean, I guess that, that is true. If you just shoot a lot, you therefore have a higher chance of getting those high danger chances off rebounds, et cetera, and tip in. So that's a good point. That be, I feel like this has been a transition-heavy series, too. Like, yeah. I, there's a lot of team speed on both sides here, which is part of the reason I feel that uh, Florida beat the Bruins is because Florida was just faster than the mm-hmm. Bruins. But now I feel like I, I'm seeing a lot of goals off of rushes. It's a lot of two-on-ones, two-on-zero, three-on-twos that are leading to goals, and not so much like offensive zone cycle play yeah but i also do think that defensively both these teams have done a good job of not getting caught with their pants down too often like that that overtime goal last night was a big kind of rare mistake by carolina to have literally both their defensemen get tied up in the corner um but i mean i think the defensive play on both teams has actually been pretty pretty good i mean they both Florida especially kind of surprises me a little bit. Brandon Montour has been playing Unreal. And he used to play for the Sabres, and I'm like, seriously? Like, this is, like, what, like, why? How did we let this dude go? But um, he's been playing well. And then, like, there's there's a lot of offensive zone possessions where you'll see Florida's defensemen kind of, like, get after it and then really quickly kind of get back to, you know, be ready in case there's a rush going the other way. I feel like... I weirdly love Florida's defensemen more right? than I should. I was thinking I the mean, same thing. Obviously, like obviously, like Ekblad, kind of a go-to there as like mm-hmm. one of the guys that people talk about. But I really like Forsling. I like Ranko Gudis. I don't know if Ranko Gudis is any good. He seems to always be in the penalty box, but I like him. <laughs> I love his name. I like Brandon Montour. They have Mark Stahl. I mean, it's just like a fun defense to root for. Yeah. All right. <laughs> To dramatically switch here, because we do want to get some talk in about Dallas-Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, Vegas is up 1-0 after overtime, which, by the way, three games in the conference finals, all three have gone to overtime. Mm-hmm. Uh, just NHL actually treating us pretty well these days. Um, biggest notes so far from the Vegas series? Uh, yeah. Robertson's on the board. Ottinger's cold. And uh, Aiden Hill and Rupe Hints are, are playing well. They are. Robertson, yeah, like you said, finally got back on the board. Do you know who actually has 
of like active players still in the playoffs who currently has the second best P- uh, PDO. I couldn't even tell you who has the best PDO. Surprisingly, it was it is still Taylor Hall, but <laughs> P- PDOs also can like there's he is not playing any more games, therefore the PDO can't go down. <laughs> yeah. Um. But number two right now with the one point zero nine eight, Mister Joe fucking Pavelski. <laughs> Well, PDO, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, PDO tells you how lucky a team is, right? Yeah, it basically calculates, like, shots that lead to a goal percentage when that player obviously is on the ice, and it calculates in the other way, shots that lead to a goal against when that player is on the ice, and it pushes it. it all together to come out with okay. a, a, a number. Um, the... I'm really pulling for Dallas in this series just because I don't know if I can, if Buffalo can handle the reality of Eichel versus Reinhardt in the, in the Stanley Cup finals. <laughs> like it's just going to be so heartbreaking. And it's also like two totally different sides of the coin because with Eichel, I'm just over here rooting for his downfall. But like with Samson, I'm just like, yeah, go get it, man. We love you. We support you. You were like, you were the good guy, Greg, the whole time you were here. Go get it. I, I have to say, I don't know why, I guess the only re- argument you can make for why Rupe Hints is so low on the Conn Smythe odds is because Vegas is probably making a cup final here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know they're only up 1-0, and that Dallas is pretty good, but something's up with Ottinger, which we can talk about here in a second. Yeah. Um, but Hints has been amazing. He has 22 points in 14 games. Yeah, he's leading the, the playoffs right now. 10 goals, 12 assists. I don't even have these... Mike, I don't even have these numbers up in front of me. I have just been obsessed with Rupe Hintz this whole playoff run. I mean, he's just been completely on fire. Him and Pavelski have just been completely on fire, and it still feels like it's just going to come up a little short. And there's a few reasons for that, one of which is that apparently Bruce Cassidy just turns pumpkins into filet mignon as soon as he steps in the door because Aiden Hill has a 930 save percentage in the playoffs. And Jack Eichel's playing, like, the number two draft pick in a draft headlined by Connor McDavid. Yeah, you stole one of the points I was going to make, is I feel like a big part of the series is, is Aiden Hill going to keep this run up? Because it's, it's really wild. Like, Lanier was brought in there to be the guy that went a certain way. Uh, Logan Thompson had a such a great start to the season, and then that veered off course. And it somehow ended up where... Aiden, because even after the Thompson situation, I think most people were thinking like, okay, it's going to be uh, Brassaw that's going to have to like carry the load here, and then it somehow ended up being Aiden Hill, and I don't know how he's pulling it off, but he's playing really well. And another great point you brought up is I just can't help but wonder what the Bruins are thinking. Seeing, I mean, Bruce Cassidy was a really good coach. I still understand why they got rid of him. Obviously, they're not complaining too much because they set an NHL record this season. But when you get bounced in the first round of the playoffs and you see your former coach currently with a you know, 1-0 lead in the Western Conference Finals, you kind of have to wonder if they made the right choice or not. Yeah, especially when you consider that they they bounced him because the, the young guys didn't like him or the old guys didn't like him, one of those two things. Mm-hmm. But his his the two things that uh, Cassidy can claim to his name are his defensive system and that he's a goaltender whisperer. And the Bruins got eliminated by being outscored and their, their Vezina-winning goaltender uh, – it struck midnight and he turned back into the house cleaner. Yeah. And they're not 
like just to go back to what I was kind of looking at earlier when I mentioned like high danger chances, the Knights aren't super high on that list in the playoffs. So it's not like they're this, you know, this generating a lot of high danger chances. Um, they're playing like they're kind of like the odd one out in that scenario where the other three teams are all really high on that list. And then the Knights are were more like middle of the pack. Yeah, I guess that makes me that makes me curious. Does that make them more or less likely to be consistent through the cup final? Um, I feel like that makes it more likely that they are consistent. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Are, yeah. Are they a shooting percentage anomaly team, or are they do the, are they just nailing their system because they're playing good defense? I mean, they're not allowing a ton of goals. Yeah, it, it's kind of like Carolina in the sense like you can remember the games they allowed a lot of goals like with Carolina it was that that game two against the Devils when they allowed eight goals but outside of that you can't really think of an, an instance and then there was the what was it the four goal Dracidal game was that against mm-hmm. uh Vegas that was yeah so that's and they even won that game but that's that's just like those are the, really the only times I could think of Vegas giving up a shitload of goals yeah I totally just blanked on the point i was about to make i'm so sorry <laughs> oh i was gonna bring up that th- this kind of was the question mark about the team going into the playoff and throughout the year is that they haven't had the like dynamic offense people felt like that they've had in years past when they've been in the playoffs and so that was kind of a big question mark but i mean offense be damned even without it they've made one one hell of a it's not like their offense has been bad obviously if, if it was terrible they wouldn't be in the situation but just going into it, people didn't think they'd be able to generate the goals. I also, and I, I want to get predictions here before our timer runs out, so mm-hmm. I'll make this my last point. Um, I also do want to point out that I feel like the the what used to be called the misfit line is finally rolling again. They're, they're getting good offensive pressure from like the Carlson line mm-hmm. for the first time in a, it, maybe a few years, maybe since their, their first year in the league even. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's get the predictions for... Uh, who wins each conference final side and then who wins the cup championship. So, Mike, let me hear your Western Conference prediction. Who is winning between Vegas and Dallas? Game one was a close game. I'm going to stick with Dallas. I, I've i been kind of high on them. I, I placed a nice little bet on them, uh, like, probably back in February for them to win the West because, you know, the value was pretty solid. I felt like they were getting forgot about a little bit. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep riding with them. Yeah, I think that there's, there's a chance that we, we're about to unlock Robertson, and if Ottinger is, uh, goes back to being Ottingeri, then there's, there's almost no stopping that team. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna go with Vegas. Uh, I'm taking the, the easy way out here. They have a 1-0 lead. Um, and. It, they're probably the better constructed team. They at least have the better coach, I can say definitively. Although you do have the whole DePore versus Vegas thing. Mm-hmm. All right, let's uh, let's get your Eastern Conference prediction here. Are you going with Florida Panthers or the Carolina Hurricanes to win in the East? Up 2-0, heading back to Florida. I tried to warn you last week. You wouldn't listen. You can't stop the vibes. Florida's going to the, the cup final. Yeah, hard to pick against the team that's up 2-0. I'm also going with Florida, so... We're looking at getting, uh, by your prediction, a Florida-Dallas conference final, um, also known as the worst possible scenario for the NHL, apparently. <laughs> uh, who's your pick? Florida-Dallas Stanley Cup final. 
I, yeah, I just can't get off. I, I, I hopped on and I can't get off the Florida bandwagon. So I'll How many games? Uh, Florida, Dallas. I'm going to take Florida and six. All right. And I have Florida, Vegas. I'm going with Vegas in five. Wow. Come on. Come on. <laughs> the, the run's got to end eventually. <laughs> All right. Let's go back to the wheel. Our uh, second topic here is the NBA offseason, also known as what's going on in basketball that doesn't involve the playoffs. Probably not great for getting <laughs> clicks on a podcast mid-conference finals. No, but yeah, never hurts to look ahead. Or look currently, I guess. Mm-hmm. All right, starting the timer. Mike, let's begin talking about the NBA offseason. By talking about some coaching vacancies. So, I'm going to list all the current coaching vacancies, and I want you to rank them in order of how desirable you think they are. So, if you were the coach, where would you want to go? Okay. And then I have counterpoints to each of these vacancies, so we can we could talk about that. We could talk about the biggest risk after that. All right. Here are all of the coaching vacancies. The Detroit Pistons, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Philadelphia 76ers, the Phoenix Suns, and the Toronto Raptors. Mike, I want you to rank them from five to one, with five being the worst and one being the best. Okay, so just to recap, we got Pistons, Bucks, Sixers, Suns, and Raptors, correct? Yes, sir. Okay. Would you like me to start with five or one? Start with five and go up to one. So five, I think I'm going to go with the Detroit Pistons. Uh, I just don't think that is a very good roster. It's a team that's been just in a bad spot for a long time now. Um, I guess it could be a little enticing if you want to be the guy to come in and turn the ship around, but I, I just don't see a lot of interest in that in that one. All right, number four. Okay, I don't know if you're going to do your counterpoints now. I'll go through nah, that. Uh, you know what? Yeah, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good point. So I'll say that the... Similar to what you were saying there, the the biggest negative with the Pistons is that you have Cade Cunningham and not much else. Yeah. Um. There's you have salary cap room, I guess. Uh, and God, what do they have? The fifth pick this year, which is not uh, a phenomenal asset. Yes. Um, your your best tradable piece is probably uh, Bojan Bogdanovic. Your second best player might be Jaden Ivey or Marvin Bagley. It's just not a good situation to walk into because there isn't much there. So you're going to be coming into a system where you're either expecting to lose or the ownership's ready to turn the team around and you don't have the pieces to win yet. So with that said, since I don't really need to convince you that that's not a great situation, let's hear your number four. Number four... I put the Raptors, but I don't... Yeah, yeah I'm going to stick with my original list. I'll go with it. Too late to make changes now. So I, I put the Raptors, kind of like another weird situation. I mean, they have some nice pieces. Pascal Siakam, uh, Fred Van Fleet. Um, and I feel like they're kind of a team in flux, because I, I guess if like I took over that team, you're kind of... This is more of a GM thing, but I feel like you're kind of in like 
two you're kind of like dipping your foot into like two different areas where i feel like you could keep breaking it down and trying to build something new or you could try to build around some of the guys they already have that's kind of a tough situation i also think you're coming in after a very good coach in nick nurse so i think those are i mean you're coming in after a coach that won a championship those are kind of big shoes to fill uh you nailed my main counterpoint to the raptors which is that they're between eras <laughs> uh there is no great way to go or there's no clear way to go. You could probably push with this exact roster and get a play-in spot, but you're not looking at much better than that. Um, their cap sheet is a little wild. They're going to be in rough shape this year because Fred Van Fleet has a player option for $22 million, and Gary Trent Jr. has a player option for $18.5 million. Assumedly, both of those are going to be picked up by the players. Pascal Siakam is entering the last year of his deal, and then he'll be a UFA at 30. So he's going to be a hard player to move. So you're basically looking at a team that you're going to want to build around Scotty Barnes and OG Ananobi. Mm. Which, once again, not a bad thing. You, OG yeah. Ananobi is about due for an extension. But it's kind of where you're hitting that point of which direction do you want to go with this and how can you make that work? If you want to tear it down and say Scotty Barnes is the center of our team, then there's a lot of expiring contacts you have to or contracts you have to that you can trade but if you're saying that you want to push and try to compete with this roster with Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Fleet on it still well you don't have a lot that you can trade away to improve your roster you have the 13th pick in the draft and that might be it good asset wise all right number three number three so this is a tough team. I literally considered ranking them possibly fifth for some reasons. The Philadelphia 76ers. I, this is like, obviously they have the reigning NBA MVP. Uh, so I, you, like that would be an enticing thing to step into. But other than that, this is kind of like a shit show position to walk into. Because this is a team that has like continually failed to meet expectations in the playoff and have, has come up short. Um, I don't like the Joel Embiid comments of what he said when he said it, you know, takes five guys. It can't just be all him and, and James when him and James didn't even have a good game. So, I mean, point fingers at the wrong people there, bud. Um, it's been nothing but drama in Philadelphia basically ever since Sam Hinkie left the building. And I just don't know if I want to step into that entire shitstorm. Yeah. I would say that the biggest risk to taking the Philly job is Joel Embiid. You're walking into a place where you don't have as much power as the players in an ownership group that seems hell-bent on asset acquisition and a team that's fired so many front office and head coaches in the Embiid era. Mm -hmm. I'll also say you're staring down the barrel at Embiid who has an estimated cap hit of $46 million, which is a quarter of your cap. You have Tobias Harris making $40 million. You have James Harden with a player option for $35 million. Now, there's talk that he's going to opt out and go to Houston, which, sure, still seems weird. But that gives you a little bit of space, but just barely out of the luxury tax still at that point. And then you have uh, 
Daniel House and Montrez Harrell, who are both good depth pieces, but both of them have player options that they that there's potential that they'll opt out of. And then going into the next season, really your only your only long term assets are Maxi and Embiid, with Harris reaching towards the end of his ridiculously big contract. Mm-hmm. Overpaid? Would you say Tobias Harris is overpaid? Yeah, I don't think that's that hot of a take. I think yeah. that we can all agree that Tobias Harris is is probably pretty significantly overpaid, which yeah. is offset by some of their other stuff. Like Tyrese Maxey, you have Great on body. a rookie rookie deal still um, for next season, and then he's a restricted free agent in 2024. But still, you're you're running out of clock a little bit on, on Maxey, who's going to get a, a solid contract after that, especially mm-hmm. because he, I, I believe he's clutch, and uh, clutch guys get paid. Just look at Ben Simmons. Um, number two. All right, number two. This was another one. It was kind of tough to place this team, but the Phoenix Suns. Um, at the end, they ended up so high on the list because you have Kevin Durant and you have Devin Booker, so really you should be able to make something work. The Chris Paul thing's the big question mark. I don't know the ins and outs of his contract. I know he's like, I believe he has a cap hit of like thirty point eight million for the next two years. Um, that eats up obviously a lot of cap space for a very much older player who i mean i feel like this year we saw he did not he like kind of took a step down in the role he plays um and the impact he can have on the game plus he may just be cursed like he may like any team that has him in the playoffs may never be allowed to win a championship that is like a possibility we have to entertain but at the end of the day if you're walking into a team that has kevin durant who is still playing at an elite level and a young star in devin booker i mean that's a good situation it is a good situation. Uh, I will say the the negatives to walking into this team are that they have been consistent and very good for a few years and still fired what many people consider to be one of the better coaches in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, they are already in the luxury tax with only seven players on the books. Um, I will say there is, there is a mild benefit that Chris Paul's contract looks massive, but he's in one of the rare situations where he actually – only has a partially guaranteed contract this year and non-guaranteed next year, which is very rare in oh, basketball. That is. And that's his year th- or his age 38, his age 39 seasons are like that. And then he'll be he'll be an uh, uh, unrestricted free agent at age 40, which Chris Paul being 6 foot 1 and playing guard probably is not going to be playing when he's 40. Mm-hmm. But you're still walking into a team that's already in the luxury tax with only seven players on the roster. So there's not a lot of room to make moves. Um, Devin Booker, you have locked up through uh, the 23-24, and then he has an extension kicking in after that that pays a whopping $50 million a year to start. Wow. Which is a lot of money. Uh, you have Kevin Durant, who has a few more seasons on the extension he signed with Brooklyn. So you do have those two pieces, as well as DeAndre Ayton. But that's kind of it. I mean, I believe Cameron Payne is locked up for a few years at a, a pretty cheap value, but that's that's the only real deal you're getting is Cameron Payne. Yeah. All right, Mike. Goes right. without necessarily saying here, but your number one team is the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, Giannis. I mean, it's Giannis. He is one of the top five players in the league, if not, I mean, 
I'll I'll go farther. He's probably I think he's one of the top three players in the league. Um, if and this is a I still think this is a very good team. I mean, Giannis, uh, Drew Holiday. I feel like there's good pieces there compared to like the slight shot I took at Embiid. Like Giannis seems like a real like leader out there. I loved his post game rant on the guy who asked the stupid question of, "Do you consider this season a failure?" Um, so I feel like you're walking into a team with that, unlike the Sixers, has all that drama. I don't feel like the Bucks have any drama, and I mean, I just think that's a great situation to walk into. And you're following up a coach that, yes, won a title, but I don't like that title bought him some extra time. But prior to winning that title, people, if they got knocked out of those playoffs, when people were saying Bud was going to be gone that off season, so I don't think you're stepping into massively big shoes to try to fill. So, the Bucks are a hard team to get a counter for because they're they're in a pretty good position right now. Um, their biggest issue is that their their recent Defensive Player of the Year finalist, Brooke Lopez, is a free agent. But they have Giannis through his age thirty one season, and assumedly he's going to sign an extension after that to stay with the Bucks. Uh, Middleton, who's on a player option for $40 million a year, but that is an expiring deal for a player who is 32 years old mm-hmm. and is insanely tradable. They have Drew Holiday locked up for a few more years. They have six-man-of-the-year Bobby Portis locked up for a few more years. They have dunk contest participant Pat Connaughton locked up for a few more years. I love Pat Connaughton. I mean, there is... There is not a lot to say that the Bucks are in a bad position. They only have five million under the in room under the luxury tax right now, mm-hmm. but they aren't in the repeater tax, and they have so they have a little bit of space to work with before it's going to cost a ton of money. So they could reasonably sign some players to come in that aren't going to completely break the bank and and reload on the fly. Um, obviously their draft capital isn't great, but that's, you know, if you want to go coach a team, it's probably a good thing to coach a team that doesn't have good draft capital because they're winning, not because they're trading away everything for Rudy Gobert. Yeah. I think, uh, you made a good point about Lopez and then Chris Middleton. Like you said that that could be like a big thing for them to try to because I know he was injured a lot this season, so obviously the production wasn't there the way it has been in the past. But, I mean, that could be kind of an area of concern for the team and trying to find someone to fill that kind of gap in scoring that he used to offer the team. But I just want to say that uh, my heart is filled with joy hearing you give a shout-out to the pride of Notre Dame basketball, Pat Condon. Thank you. <laughs> I like Pat Condon. He's a good player. Love Pat Condon. And he, uh, he, he did the white man can't jump outfit. <laughs> He was Woody Harrelson in the dunk contest. Mm-hmm. Or, or now, I guess, he was Jack Harlow. Why is that? That movie does not need a reboot. Uh, like, it did need the original. The original's overrated. All right. Well, we'll save that for a different <laughs> wheel topic one day. We talk sports be movies. Off-season topic. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like uh, if we're going to talk sports movies, there's there's kind of a, an unspoken favorite on that list. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So to go back through your rankings there, uh, number five, you have the Pistons. Number four, you have the Raptors. Number three, you have the 76ers. Number two, you have the Suns. Number one, you have the Milwaukee Bucks. You still feel good about that list? I do. I feel I feel good about it. Do you feel that any of these teams are 
100% definitively downgrading that coach, no matter who they hire? I think the two teams that would be the most likely to end up downgrading are going to be either the Suns or the Raptors. I think they let go probably the best two coaches of the five. All right. So with the last few minutes here that we have left, I wanted to list out some of the free agent coaches and uh, see if there's any of them that you like the fit anywhere. So I'm going to, I'll list out a name and you tell me if you see them fitting with a certain team. Mm. All right. Nick Nurse. Oh, I could see Nick Nurse as a good fit in Milwaukee. Yeah, I guess that when you when you talk towards the top end, there there isn't a lot of negatives there, right? Like it's it's hard yeah. to say that a, a Nick Nurse wouldn't fit with Milwaukee, that Nick Nurse wouldn't fit with Phoenix, Nick Nurse wouldn't fit with the 76ers because he basically mm-hmm. is going to fit anywhere. Yeah. Um <clears throat> Kenny Atkinson, who is currently an assistant coach on the Warriors. Ooh. Where did he head coach before? Uh, the the uh, uh, Nets. The Nets, that's right. Um, Kenny Atkinson has interviewed with the Bucks, and I believe that's been his only interview so far. Yeah, he's like a, he has a decent amount of coaching experience under his belt, if I'm not incorrect, right? Yeah, he's been around. He's been around. So, I mean, I guess I mean, I guess they'd be fine for the Bucks. It's kind of, it seems a little bit like a boring hire to me, though. Monty Williams who it doesn't appear has interviewed anywhere yet, but he has been bounced around in a few rumors with the Pistons, the Bucks, and the Sixers. So I would like to say, thank God, COVID is, uh, you know, not as prevalent of a thing because when he had to wear the mask and I couldn't see the bottom of his face from like the eyes up, probably just because he's bald. He, I always like, is that cream on the 76ers <laughs> match? <laughs> or the Suns match? Always for me for a loop. Um, I like the idea of him going to the 76ers, actually. Uh, I don't know. I kind of think like he had a big man in Aiton. He had a, a guard in Devin Booker. And maybe you can kind of get some of that magic with Embiid and Tyrese Maxey. All right. So I'm going to I'm gonna list off of just a few names here of people that are, are rumored to interview or have interviewed at a few places. Uh, just some names that I, I find interesting to be in the conversation. And I want, after I go through the list, I want to hear if you have any thoughts on it. Mm. Frank Vogel. Mm. Becky Hammond. J.J. Redick. Mm. Any thoughts on those three players? Or not players, coaches. Coaches. Uh, who's J.J. Redick interviewed with? Uh, he, I don't know. I don't even know if he's interviewed here. I can, I can pull up this article real quick. But the Raptors. Hmm. Uh, yep. He interviewed with the Raptors. That would be kind of cool. I'm always like a fan when like, you know, uh, a former player gets, you know, a shot at coach. Sometimes it turns out good. Other times it, you know, doesn't go great. Um, for example, Jason Kidd, <laughs> but that would be kind of fun. I'm shocked the 76ers haven't interviewed JJ Raddick if he's available. Yeah. Who have the Sixers interviewed? They have, the Sixers have... Only interviewed Nick Nurse so far, it appears. With their other rumored coaches or targets to be Budenholzer, Monty Williams, Frank Vogel, Mike D'Antoni, which would be hilarious, (laughs) and Sam Cassell. Oh, D'Antoni. Getting another shot. That that would be... I mean, do you think that's a move to try to get Harden to hang around? God. 
Do you want him to hang around? <laughs> Please, for the love of God, hire Mike. I, I, if we somehow get the Sixers with D'Antoni, Maury, and Harden on it, and Embiid is just standing in the oh. corner while Harden does his own thing. I told, That's right, the Maury piece of this, the D'Antoni thing makes so much sense now. Yeah. I mean, if the 76ers just be, like come to Philadelphia Rockets, it would just be fucking hilarious. Oh my God! Let's you know what? Just because I like to be an agent of chaos, let's make that happen, please, God. Here, let me. Uh, I we, we're technically out of time, but let me pull up this this story. Brief support from Michael Scoto of Hoops Hype, which has oddly been a really good resource recently. That Williams, Nertz, and Mike D'Antoni would likely be candidates to replace Rivers if the Sixers were to make a change. Wojnarowski confirmed those names and added a few more to Philadelphia's list of potential candidates, tweeting that Budenholzer, Sam Cassell, and Frank Vogel were also expected to be factors in the team search. Frank Vogel. Vogel was good. I like Vogel. Yeah, that's true. You want a ring? Let us spin the wheel for our third and final topic on the week. Oh boy. And our third and final topic will be the NHL offseason. We're covering all the off seasons today. Yeah, no kidding. We we somehow didn't talk about the NBA conference finals at all. Yeah. All right, Mike. So there's a few things we can start with here. So let me gauge your opinion on where you want to go. I have three core topics I want to try to hit in this 20 minutes stretch. Okay. I have Kyle Dubas, the Arizona Coyotes Arena, and the Edmonton Oilers. Which one do you want to start with? Uh, let's get Dubas out of the way now. All right. So. As those who follow the NHL have probably recently heard, Kyle Dubas, the former, now GM, of the Toronto Maple Leafs, was surprisingly fired after making his press conference, or his, his postseason press conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, reportedly, Shanahan, the president of Hockey Ops, is that his official title? Correct, I believe so. Uh, said that he wasn't planning on moving on from Dubas until that interview and was Dubas talked about how hard it was for him to go through the process day in and day out as the GM of the Leafs. Uh, he has been recently linked and potentially already interviewed with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, Mike, my opening question for you, I'm going to give you a spread here and I want you to take a bet on it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Kyle Dubas minus two and a half years on Sidney Crosby. Who is older? Um, I think Dubas is a little older. He's 37. Right, but minus two and a half years. Oh, minus two and a half years? Ooh. That would make, that'd make Dubas, what, 34 and a half? Oh, shit. Uh, Crosby's older. Crosby is older. Yes, yes. I had to, like, if remember you do his the minus two year. and a half years. Crosby yeah. plus two and a half is older than Kyle Dubas. Yes. All right, Mike. So let me hear your uh, your Kyle Dubas thoughts. Um, so correct me if I'm wrong. Now, was it a firing thing, or wasn't his like contract up, and then they just kind of agreed to go? Well, the the official statement was they agreed to go separate ways. Uh, I believe so. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs' decision not to retain general manager Kyle Dubas. Yeah. Correct. And yeah, and I I kind of read the same things that I don't think Shanahan uh, appreciated Dubas talking publicly about the situation in that press conference. Um, I know he also said that he would be GMing the, if he wasn't GMing the Leafs next year, I wouldn't, he wouldn't be GMing anywhere. Uh, we'll see how quickly that changes <laughs> um, now that he's out of a job. I think my biggest kind of 
question mark here. And I know it's a really tough situation in Toronto. So much media coverage, so much scrutiny to be a part and running such a big name team like that, especially one that has been so starved for success over the past decades. But I just wonder if they could have used a little more patience in making that decision. Um, like, I do want to point out real quick that um, the person who reported that the Penguins are going to reach out to Kyle Dubas was Elliot Friedman. So that can probably pretty, be taken pre- taken pretty solidly as the truth. Yeah, yeah. Because um, the team I, I thought about is the Colorado Avalanche and who brought on Joe Sackick in 2014. Um, they assembled this great team, uh, you know, got their coach and Jaron Bednar in 2016. And then from there on out, um, you know, 20, the 2018 playoffs knocked out in the first round, 2019 playoffs, second round, 2020 playoffs, second round, 21 playoffs, second round. And that was after winning the president's trophy and they stuck with it and then finally got there. So I just, I think Kyle Dubas, they maybe should have just had more patience, but it's very tough to have patience with the Toronto Maple Leafs, obviously. So I want to, I want to ask you two sides of this. So first off, if you're Kyle Dubas, what do you do? Like now that I am out as GM there? Now that you're a free agent, if, if your options are take a year off and find a place or take a team now what team are you going with right now the penguin situation is interesting if he was to go there i mean you can kind of get best of both worlds there he has crosby still um so if he wanted to try to keep loading up and make a run with that team he could but you could try that for a couple more seasons and then you could have the if it goes well and you're still have a job then you have the fun opportunity to kind of move the pittsburgh penguins into their next era post Sidney crosby that would be an interesting fit the Penguins uh, do have their own first-round pick this year. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know where that falls in the draft lottery. I can look that up in a moment. But uh, they also have $20 million in cap space, so they do have a lot of cap room if they want to make some moves, as well as several very movable pieces. Um, they won't do it, but you could buy out Evgeny Malkin for not yeah. that much money. You would save $4 million this year, $3 million the year after, $2 million after that. Um. You obviously still have Sidney Crosby. Uh, Latang is probably done, you think? Probably. I think he's a re- retirement guy. Um, he came back from... He had a stroke. Okay. And he came back. Yeah, he came back from that, but he that was he's his old. second stroke, and he's yeah. 36 years old. I don't know if I want to tempt fate on the third stroke. So you're probably right. Um, and asset wise, they're not in a great place here. I can I can pull up Penguins' elite prospects ranking. I mean, I imagine they wouldn't be in a great position considering the success they've had ever since Crosby came to town. I mean, it, it's usually what it's rare for a team to be hanging around the top of the NHL for a long time and then also be able to stock the cupboard with great prospects. Yeah, so the Athletic ranks the Penguins at number 29 in the 2023 NHL prospect pool. Oof, that's not good. So not great. But then the other side of this I want to ask you is if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs, what do you do? 
So just to let you know what question. they're looking at. Uh, I get so, leaner. <laughs> Sorry, guys. So uh, you have... Right now, your top cap hits are Austin Matthews at 11 million, uh, Tavares at 11 million, Mitch Marner at 10 million, Morgan Riley at 7 million, Nylander at 6 million. So the first argument I would make there is that you have one, two, three, four, your four top forwards. Mm -hmm. Three of them are centers. That feels a little excessive to me, I guess. And I know you typically play cent pay centers higher, but they're eating up 15, 20%. They're eating up almost a third of their cap on their, their three centers alone. Do you well, see any of those guys as tradable? Um, there's some tradable pieces there, but I think the big question, or like the big part when you say like, what do the Maple Leafs do? You do have to wonder if there's a domino effect. Cause I mean, Dubith built this Austin Matthews led team. Austin Matthews is going into the last year of his contract. I mean, it's crazy to think that Toronto would let him get away, but I, there's a universe where Matthews decides he wants to be stateside maybe, or it's not worked out in Toronto. I think it's time for a change of scenery. You really, I think if when the Maple Leafs look at what they're doing, they really have to gauge how those contract negotiations are going to go. And if there is any kind of fear of Matthews leaving, then they need to be proactive in trying to move some pieces um, to get ready for a post Austin Matthews world. Now, I will say this, but I said earlier when I kind of made the comment of I would get leaner, I I would get away from this mentality that they got into of we need that veteran that we got to bring in. Um, you know, whether it was Nick Foligno a couple seasons ago, it was Ryan O'Reilly this year. I mean, I, I, I'm i a big proponent of youth when it comes to a hockey team, and I think they have, not, they have some great younger players, and I don't think that it's true this – fallacy of we got to bring in guys who know how to win um so i mean i i'd be looking to cut some expensive weight that's over a certain age so the way you phrase that leads me to believe that number one on your expensive weight over a certain age list would be john tavares that 11 million a year full no true. no trade clause uh he still has two years left on his contract 11 million each year. Yeah, that that's probably the one that wouldn't be moved. He's the captain. He's the local boy. Um, uh, that would probably be... That, I mean, I just, he, with the no trade clause, it'd be tough to make that one even happen. Yeah, I mean, there's it's it's hard with a lot of these guys because then you talk to some of their other older players. Uh, Jake Muzzin, mm -hmm. modified no trade clause. Uh, TJ Brody, modified no trade clause. Uh, I mean, Jake McCabe, but if you move Jake McCabe, that's only $4 million off your books. Yeah. And I, I think Jake McCabe's actually, I know he is older, so I'm going, I'm kind of going back on what I said, but I do think 4 million compared to his value. He's actually probably, I'd have to double check, but I, I bet you Jake McCabe is probably has surplus value. And he's only, he's only 30. Like we're, yeah. we're not talking like, you know, even Tavares is 33. They have Mark Giordano on their books still. I mean, like we're not talking mm -hmm. those guys. He's only 30. Yeah. I'm just saying, maybe we. Mark Giordano only makes a hundred thousand or eight hundred thousand dollars, so that's not even worth talking about. Yeah, I'm just saying, maybe we pull back 
the idea of we're just this one piece away. We got to get this veteran. We got to get this last piece. Maybe we pull back. Maybe we try to take a second to think about the future of the team um, and how we can better balance things out across the franchise um, and still rely on the fact that we have Austin Matthews. We have Willie Nylander. We have some great players and we could still be competitive and we could still possibly win the Stanley Cup with these guys without having to figure out how we can give up more aspects and more prospects to bring in some dudes over 30. Um, so I, we, we do need to move on because we don't have all the time in the world. But I will point out that the Athletic ranked Toronto as 18th in the prospect pool mm. with Matthew Nyes being their number one player. So I don't know if you can technically count him anymore, but they they aren't completely hopeless. They have a middling area on that but they only have three draft picks this year so not 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 great not a lot of great avenues for them at the time all right so uh since you got first pick of topic i want to take second pick here i want to talk about the coyotes arena yeah so let me give you a little bit of an overview here um the coyotes went to a public vote on if they would get the funding for their 1.6 billion dollar arena in which they requested 500 million dollars of tax breaks and the rest would be funded by private money uh, it was voted down by the Tempe voters. And now the uh, Arizona Coyotes do not have an arena plan. They're going to play out the 23-24 season once again in Mullet Arena. And after that, we don't really know what's going to happen. Um, a few potential places have popped up, and I want to get your opinion on each of these. I'm going to list them out first, and then we'll go through and talk about each one of them individually. So... The top two, or I should say the top one definitively, seems to be Houston, where the Rockets owner Tillman Fertitta has already talked about his his want to bring hockey to Houston. Uh, number two appears to be Atlanta, uh, where previously they had the Thrashers, who did not perform well either. And the distant number three, just based off of a small tweet from the Jazz owner, Ryan Smith, Salt Lake City, Utah... Mike, of those three, which one would you prefer to see the Arizona Coyotes move to? God, can I take the field? <laughs> you don't want a Salt Lake team? Salt Lake is, would be a kick-ass place for hockey. Oh, uh, they could be the Salt Lake Mormons? I mean, come on. Uh, they could be the Jazz, thank you. Oh, yeah, because there's you so much a team jazz you in want. Utah. I remember hearing great stories of uh, Louis Armstrong just tearing it up playing jazz in Salt Lake City. You could uh, call them um, the Sundance? The Sundance? That's, uh, uh, that takes place in Salt Lake City. Or that takes place in Utah. It's maybe in Salt Lake City. Maybe it's Salt Lake um, City. You didn't mention, uh, when you st started to say, based off a lone tweet, I thought you were going to mention Patrick Mahomes tweeting about... Oh, Kansas City. Yeah. That's another good one. Yeah. Uh, oh, God. I mean, I guess Houston would probably be the most profitable destination, just based on the city they'd be going to. I disagree. Um, you disagree? You think... Which I one do you think... I think that you're talking places that have some kind of hockey history to them. We, they've played outdoor games in Salt Lake City. That's true. There's an audience for it there. I mean, people talk about Quebec City, but I don't think there's any chance they had another Canadian team. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you could kind of put Utah in that situation of like, it was like when the, the like Seattle moved to Oklahoma City. Like that's a state that's kind of outside of college is like, was like starved for any kind of professional sport team. Uh, so, I mean, you have the jazz, but other than that, uh, 
I mean, you could kind of make the same thing that they would have a really strong fan base there sell out a lot. Um, good season ticket holders if they if they went to Utah. Houston, like, I'm not even really that that crazy about. Like, I I understand that Texas is like, you know, similar like California is this massive state with like you know a couple of like massive cities, so it could definitely handle having two sports teams. I mean, you see it with football; they have Dallas and Houston. But I just I don't know, like. The Dallas Stars are in the bottom chunk of the league as far as profitability goes. So I don't do we really need another sports team for the good of the league to be in Texas when we're talking hockey? No, that's kind of what I'm saying is that we like the talk about Texas and Atlanta. Those aren't hockey markets. No, and Atlanta already failed once. Yeah. So, so I, why why are we trying to crowbar a team? whose biggest problem was that they weren't profitable into two markets that aren't profitable. Why don't we try to explore a place that has the potential to be profitable? I mean, look at Seattle. Mm -hmm. Seattle instantly was profitable because they found a place that wanted a professional sports team and they put a professional sports team there. Like, uh, uh, what evidence is there that people in Atlanta or Houston give a shit about hockey at all? Right, and just because you're going to a big city. It doesn't mean that there's going to be interest. I mean, look at any, I mean, look at any LA team outside of the Lakers. Like it's just cause you go to LA doesn't mean you're going to do great numbers when it comes to like, uh, packing them in the stands, butts and seats. Yeah. You even take a, the juggernaut franchise of professional sports, the NFL, they put the chargers in LA and the chargers aren't doing well there. Right. So I mean, you, you, you need to put more thought into it than just here's a big city like Houston or here's a big city like Atlanta and let's put a sports team there. Yeah, I, I do agree with that point. So I, I guess you, you've definitely, you, you, you swayed me. I guess you, uh, Salt Lake City or I, I'm not totally against Kansas City. I mean, that would be different. <laughs> and we could right. see how that would work out. Right now, what do you think the Kansas City fan base leans towards when it comes to hockey teams? The Blues? Yeah. That's what, yeah, that's where they're that's the closest team to them, I believe. What about Salt Lake City? Utah near. Yeah, I like Yeah, I'm trying to I don't have a, I don't have a map of the states in front of me, but I don't know what they would be. That's a tough one. Aren't they closest to Nevada? You think that it's a lot of Vegas fans there? <laughs> like, do you think there's a lot of carryover, carryover like Coyote fans? Uh, I don't think Maybe? there's uh, even Coyote fans in Arizona, so I doubt. That. Obviously not. Not a lot of the. Uh, at least there's not a lot in Tempe. <laughs> I mean, this has just been prior to even this happening. People were saying just move the Coyotes out of Arizona, and I mean, it, this feels like the final nail in the coffin. I don't know how they get around it. Okay, I pulled up a totally scientific map from Reddit. Mm-hmm. Um, that's taking forever to load. Uh, what the fuck? Why is this not organized by state? <laughs> uh, well, according to this map, the biggest fan base in Alaska is the Bruins. There are a lot of bears in Alaska, so I guess that's that tracks. That's that's where that fan base comes from. Yeah. Map of U.S. I don't know geography of my own country. While you look that up, I just got to say, how much does it also suck for this organization? Because even if you, like, are looking to move teams, if they miss out on Bedard, like, you don't even have, like, the shiny, like, new, like, juggernaut star as, like, your selling point. Yeah, I was I was kind of thinking about that, too. But they, they have 
I mean, come on. If the NHL was going to rig that, they totally would have rigged it for Chicago, right? Like, there's been talk where people are oh, like, yeah. no, they would have rigged it for Arizona because Bettman loves Arizona. No. Bedard's going to print them cash in Chicago. Oh, yeah. Um, it appears to be by this very scientific Reddit map that they're, the fan base in Utah is split between the Avs and the Knights. So I oh, okay. absolutely think that that can be taken over by dropping a a hockey team into St. Louis. That that would be – not St. Louis, into uh, Salt Lake. That would be my pick. And I hadn't considered that until I started talking myself through it, but now I'm very in on let's, uh, let's get this team to Salt Lake. Yeah, I, you know, you, I, you're kind of selling me on it. Of the options, I guess it is the best one. All right. So we're going to go over on time here because uh, it's my podcast and I can do whatever the fuck I want. Uh, but let's uh, let's talk Oilers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Oilers in their <clears throat> postseason media availability, um, Connor McDavid basically laid it out that either this team is a bust or they're going to win a cup in the next two years. Which I I don't know a lot about Connor McDavid as a person. Uh, I assume he's quite smart because I like him, and that's really my only argument for why I, I I believe that. But two years is an interesting number to drop. You know why that is, Mike? Because his contract. Because Leon Dreisaitl oh. has two years at eight million a year left on his deal before he's going to get paid a lot of money. Oof, yeah. Who is probably the most valuable contract in the league now that we can stop saying it's Nate McKinnon? Yeah. Is Dreisaitl at two years, eight million? Um, so, what do you think? You think cap or uh, cup or bust? Two years for the Oilers? I mean, not wrong on the Dreisaitl. Or we've now played three games of the. Com- There's been three playoff games with Dreisaitl sitting at home on the couch, and he is still the uh, leading goal scorer in the NHL playoffs. So, um, yeah, I mean, every everything has a uh, what's from. Every iteration of a team has a, a time frame before they run out. They run out, and they could be getting there. Um, like you said before, his contract balloons, and it's even tougher to try to build a team around them. So, with the Oilers, I wanted to lay out their cap situation for you, mm-hmm. and I, I, I kind of want to get your take on on what the the next two years looks like for them, yeah. if they really are two years or bust. So, their estimated cap space, as of right now, is $6 million. Uh, that's not final. That's just estimated. Mm-hmm. Their top earners on the team, by total contract, are McDavid, Evander Kane, Dreisaitl, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and Darnell Nurse. Now, some of that's a little misleading because that's total contract, not average annual. But that is what we are looking at. Um, they obviously have Dreisaitl for... The next two seasons at eight and a half million average annual value, uh, but where we start getting into to some interesting stuff is what they're paying on their defensive side of things. Now, I don't think anyone would say that the Oilers are a elite defensive team, but they do have the eleventh highest paid defensive group in the league. Um, once again, by total total contract. That, so that's not giving uh, average annual value. Um, the number one... Well, uh, let, me, let me start with this. Uh, they have pretty good contracts on some impact players, uh, in, in my estimation. Uh, Cody Ceci, who is a, an okay defenseman, um, mm-hmm. but they're only paying him $3 million a year. 
Uh, and then Matthias Elkholm, who they traded for this year, is 6.25 a year, uh, which is probably around an average NHL contract. And I, I think he played pretty well. Um, yeah, I thought he was a big boost for that team. Yeah, yeah, big boost. Helped, really helped them on the, the push down the stretch to become, at some points, a cup favorite. Um, but the the albatross around their neck uh, is Darnell Nurse, who is a good defenseman, but is getting paid $9.25 million a year with a no-move clause. The other person to, to keep an eye on uh, the other couple people to keep an eye on. Uh, Kyler Yamamoto going into the last year of his contract before he's going to be a restricted free agent, making $3.1 million. Uh, that is a very tradable contract. And Zach Hyman, who I believe recently signed an extension at 30 years old, um, going into his age 31 season, who is going to be earning an average annual value of $5.5 million with a full no-move clause. So, Mike, where do you see this team in the next few years, and what do you think – oh, sorry, and I, I forgot to bring up Jack Campbell at $5 million a year uh, through the 2026 season. Uh, so, what do you see as, as the direction this team can go in the next two years, and if they will or won't be a cup contender? Um, well, you have numbers up. What's Kane's? Uh, Evander, Evander Kane is uh, $5.125 million with a no-move clause. So, first off, I don't know why they're giving out no-move clauses like candy. Yeah, it just makes no-move clauses. They got a lot of them, and it doesn't make any, any sense to me. Um, like, it, it's not even like we had to put in the no-move clause to sweeten the pot because we're underpaying them. Like, Darnell Nurse is not worth $9.2 million here. I said that when the contract got signed that they overpaid him, and it has panned out that way. Jack Campbell, they obviously overpaid. We saw how that played out. Um, oh, man, I was the biggest, biggest Jack Campbell detractor on earth, and even I yeah. could have predicted how bad that went. How bad that would turn out. Um, I really like Zach Hyman, but like you said, as he gets older, that could turn into a bad contract. I mean, the yeah, only he's, really he's thirty now. Yeah. Um, I mean, the only really movable contract you mentioned is Tyler Yamamoto, but that only gets $3.1 million off the books. Um, Nugent Hopkins' deal should be – I don't know. I don't think it is. So, according to The Athletic, Darnell Nurse actually has a surplus value of $0.2 million. Wow. He's he's a good defenseman. Not a – Oh, man. Hold on. What? Wait. Is, is – uh, I got to look up something here. They're free agents. Yeah, so Evan Bouchard is a restricted free agent. Mm-hmm. Uh, Evan Bouchard, they only paid him $832,000 last year. Wow. He's going to make a lot more than that. That was his entry level. Yeah, yeah he's going to make a lot more than that. Because um, he became, after they moved um, Tyson Berry, he kind of became like the power play guy for them. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, played the really Athletic well. has... The Athletic has his surplus value at $8.7 million. Now, take a, a, a the world's biggest grain of salt with any of the Athletic numbers because the Athletic, their their model tends to think that top-end players are underpaid just because they've artificially kept the cap pretty low. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, Carter McDavid's making 
12.5 million and the athletic says that he should be making a league max which is uh 20 million wow so i couldn't have told the, you the nhl's max yeah because no, no one, no one gets close it. to it yeah, yeah exactly so that's the nhl artificially keeps contracts very low mm-hmm. um so the athletic tends to overvalue how much players should be worth based off that correct uh i wanted to kind of give him crap for the nugent hopkins situation but he actually has two more seasons at 6.25 million and then you see it start to go down 4 million the following year and then it drops down to like 2.5 a couple years after that as he gets into his mid-30s so that's actually not that'll be a decreasing deal as recitals deal increases so it might offset some of that so just to to go through real quick some of their uh free agents just to to get your opinion on uh, where this puts them as a contender. Um, I'm going to give you all the people who are coming completely off the books, and then uh, I don't need to give you any of the, the restricted free agents. The only important one there is Evan Bouchard, who, because he's an RFA, you know they're going to re-sign him. So, but here are their, their UFAs coming off the uh, the books this year. Oscar Clefbaum. Mike Smith. Evan Bouchard. <laughs> Derek Ryan, Matthias Yanmark, few guys that I'm not even familiar with, uh, Nick Bukestad, and Devin Shore. A now, do you do you see any of this as an issue for the team? No, I feel like a lot of those guys are guys that you will will just let go. Yeah, you you um, would. I guess that their their main target there would be Evan Bouchard, who's a restricted free agent. Yeah, getting him locked up. So, yeah, those are all guys who you can let walk. But the, the big issue with this team is if you they even if they can make cap space, I don't know who you're spending it on. This isn't a very good free agent class. No, it's not a very good free agent class. So I guess your your aim would be trades, but it's the NHL. Like, right. What trades are you going to make that are really going to improve your team? Yeah, so... I mean, McDavid's kind of spot on in what he's saying and that like the core of this team is the core of this team for the next two years. And they're either going to win a cup or they're going to have to start blowing it up. <laughs> There's just no way around it. Also, can people not make the point that Wayne Gretzky won his first Stanley Cup in his fourth season and McDavid's going into his ninth? Like, I've never, that's such like a, a stretch of any kind of comparison to make. I want to point out that you texted me and said that McDavid is going into his ninth season when he won his first, and he still doesn't want a cup, and that LeBron didn't win his first championship until his eighth season. Yeah, I just thought that was an interesting thing. They're both kind of like on the same, you know, trajectory there. I just thought it was an interesting coincidence. It really felt like this was going to be the year for them. Right up until it wasn't. <laughs> right up until it wasn't, which is really unfortunate. Until Stuart Skinner started to struggle, and, you know, they couldn't score five-on-five five goals. Um I don't know if they have the right answer at coach either. He made like that elimination game. I thought he made a lot of questionable decisions. Um, I mean, he brought, he came out I mean, with your season on the line, you start, I mean, it seems like such a small thing, but you just start the game with your fourth line on the ice for some reason. I don't know what kind of tone you're trying to set there, but we saw it turn into a really quick goal by Vegas. And luckily you have Connor McDavid and he quickly <clears throat> counter attacked that and was able to even it up. But that was weird. And then late in the game when they had the, there was a, the penalty that turned it into a four-on-four four that was eventually 
going to turn into a power play. He didn't put at a stoppage. He didn't put McDavid and Drysaddle right out on the ice because the idea was to keep him fresh for the power play. But what happened was they ended up taking a penalty, and McDavid and Drysaddle never saw the ice, and then they got scored on, and that basically sealed the game. So I don't think there's been any decisions made, but I don't think they had the answer at coach. And that's really the only changes that they can make because the cap's not great. The free agent class isn't great. So you'd have to try to get some trades. And as you mentioned, the NHL isn't exactly the NBA where players just fly around whenever they want to. So you might just need to change and get a new guy at the front of the ship. Um, do you have the number in front of you what their estimated cap space is? Oh, here, I just found it. 6.207 this year. I wonder if they could make enough room. Because just thinking about free agents, um, a good player, I mean, I guess they, they probably don't need depth scoring, but a, a good player, a left-hand shot, who could probably be very helpful uh, to this team when it comes to five-on-five five scoring. Timo Meyer, oh, yeah. unrestricted free agent. Yeah, I expect the Devils to lock him up, though. Yeah, I mean, you expect them to. Right, but he's true. an unrestricted free agent. He can shop around and get whatever contract he wants. Yeah. You, I mean, you could you could go with their approach from a few years ago. Maybe get someone like Tarasenko in the building. Mm-hmm. Once again, score, right hand shot. Uh oh, T- Tarasenko's left hand shot, isn't he? Um, but anyways, you what doesn't matter as much for forwards. Um, but you get a, a, another scorer in the building, someone who's a little older. Um, uh, I mean, you know, grasping at straws here to see what this this team could could kind of bring in um there's a, a trio of of veteran centers available in Jordan Stahl, JT Comfer and Ryan O'Reilly. Don't yeah. know if any of those guys do anything for you. Nah, I mean you say I don't know if they really need depth scoring. I think they do need depth scoring. <laughs> they need I, 5 on 5 scoring. They need 5 on 5 depth scoring. I, I the the Leafs and the Oilers both have a similar situation and that's like can we get some of those clutch players on the third and fourth line to get us a big goal in the playoffs because they haven't had that. So, so I, maybe I, maybe a player like Timo Meyer should be the focus, but it could be. They don't seem to have the cap space unless they can move someone. Yeah, I just every year the conversation in the playoffs is how they make things so they don't have to pair McDavid and Drysdale together. They have those two strong top lines, and then they fall behind in an important game, and it's like, all right, McDavid, Drysdale, you're together. And then they have – it's – I just – every year I feel like we keep coming back to the same problems with this team, and then this seemed like the year where they finally addressed the problem. Stuart Skinner started playing out of his mind, and Matthias Ekholm came around to give him a lot of help defensively, and it still fell apart. Once again, because of five-on-five scoring. Um, yes. <laughs> and, well, you know, Stuart Skinner kind of fell off. And and you have to think that him being, what, 25 years old? Yeah. Tw- going into next season? That we're not going to see the same level of fall-off in the playoffs. That he'll have another year of experience under his belt. And being on an entry-level deal in the first year of his entry-level deal, they have two more years of him at... 2.5 and then 3 million. And that was another questionable decision by Jay Woodcroft. Like as terrible as Campbell was in the regular season, every time he had to come in for relief of Stuart Skinner, he played well. So you have a young kid who is obviously rattled because he's continually was getting lit up by the, by, by the Knights. And like, maybe you should have went with a veteran there. 
you didn't, and then you had to end up pulling Skinner again anyway. So not to like really just go after Jay Woodcroft's job or anything like I have, but yeah, um, and his job's safe. He's not going anywhere. Yeah, but even if he was a free agent, it's not like there's a great option out there to hire. I mean, you could say bring Joel Quinville back after he has his conversation with uh, Bettman when the season's mm-hmm. over. But do you really want that? I mean, I don't want that. I want to mm-hmm. root for the Oilers, and Quinville's not a guy I want to root for. Right. But, I mean, Jay Woodcroft, slick back here. <laughs> <laughs> Bet he likes his sloppy steaks. He probably does. All right. I think we should uh, – <laughs> at the point where we're making, I think you should leave references. It's probably time to call it a pod. All right. Any uh, any final thoughts you got there, Mike? Any Any predictions – for the NBA conference championship since we didn't get around to that. Um, what would you put the odds on the Lakers coming back from a three Oh hole? Oh Jesus. 120 to one. No. Oh, okay. So I'll take those. <laughs> no, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, no, I have any thoughts. Uh, 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 yeah, I think we hit everything. All right. Well, uh, where can we find you, Mike? Um, it depends. Why are you looking for me? Just kidding. Uh-huh. Uh, um, you, got, okay. you can find me on Twitter at Town Alone Mike. Um, I, I I aim. I'm making it a a I guess a summer resolution at this point to tweet more. So. All right, and you can find me at uh, Town Alone Adam. Um, haven't done a lot of tweeting on there because I've been caught up doing other things, but going to be pushing articles and stuff through there so if you want to keep up with our content coming out you can check there and of course you can find all of our content including all of our podcast videos and articles at talentalone.com and uh mike just to let you know for the game tomorrow la is a favorite (laughs) stupid